Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs documents the changes to nitrates derogation for Irish dairy farmers. Okay, good morning everyone and welcome to today's Let's Talk Dairy webinar. Today I'm going to deal with a bit of housekeeping stuff, I suppose. Um, it's going to be just myself uh, going through a few slides in relation to uh, things that people probably need to be aware of at this moment in time uh, and things that people need to be planning for for the spring of uh, 2021 possibly. So um, it won't be a very long webinar today um, but we'd encourage you to ask some questions as you go along anyway and we'll try and clarify any points that you have. So I'll just share my screen here now. Now uh, this might put some people off I suppose possibly but look it's becoming a reality. Um, a real reality in terms of it's it's something that we're it's like COVID we're going to have to live with derogation and rules that uh, are associated with it which are getting probably a little bit more complex every time we go back uh, to Europe and we're going back to Europe again at the end of 2021 and as you'll probably be aware there was a midterm review uh, done within Ireland itself we'll say not on the on the direction of anybody in Europe but uh, we took it upon ourselves I suppose within the Department of Agriculture to try and be seen to be proactive in this in, in relation to going back to Europe at the, in 20, for, for 20, 2021 to get our derogation for 2022. And you'll be aware that uh, some other countries like Denmark and the Netherlands have struggled to get their derogations um, in the last number of years. And I suppose with uh, water quality um, reducing across the country um, in terms of EPA uh, records and so forth it's uh, becoming a little bit more challenging every time our department officials and, and my other my colleagues in Chagas go to try to get uh, a new derogation allowed for a non number of years again so as part of that as i said there was a review done last year and some of these things were brought in and i suppose with covid there's a chance that because of a lack of face-to-face -face interaction maybe with with ourselves in particular, I suppose, our uh, advisors in general, um, people may not be as aware as they probably should be of some of the, the detail of that review, okay? So I suppose first and foremost, I'm, I'm going to go through the first couple of points, um, or the, there's six or seven points here on, on the next couple of slides in relation to things that you have to be aware of, that you're going to have to comply with derogation. And that covers approximately 7,000 farms. Uh, and in some cases, these are going to be uh, important for farms that are exporting slurry to stay under the 170 also. So it actually could be ranging up to about 12,000 farms that are coming into the, the catch of, of these derogation slash greater than 170 stocking rate rules, okay? Uh, and predominantly, they're going to be dairy farms, uh, but there are a couple of intense, uh, a share of intensive beef farms in these as well. So, so the compulsory liming program is the main measure. Um, and that kicked in from the 1st of January 2020. And you'll have seen that there's been a bit of a media campaign from ourselves there in recent times, trying to promote people to um, spread lime because it's a four-year program. You're expected to spread 25% of your lime requirements each year. Uh, and um, people just, you'd be surprised how, very, how quickly you can fall behind in terms of, of lime applications. And look, with the best will in the world, it, it's relatively straightforward to get lime out. But uh, the month of August has gone by now, very wet month, obviously, very difficult to travel ground. Uh, so that's a month that has gone past, I suppose, in terms of liming. Now, at the moment, as I, as I look out the window here, uh, we're in conditions have improved dramatically in the last week to 10 days. 
uh, some suggestions of unsettled weather coming again in, in the coming week. So people need to be aware that it, we, we cannot probably take the chance on trying to get our lime out in November and December. We need to be picking off our opportunities as they come. So if there's, um, as rotations are extending now on, on farms, it may be feasible to apply lime to larger areas and not be concerned about being on top of them in terms of grazing them in a very short space of time. And obviously silage has gone out of the way now at this stage, but maybe some people might be trying to pick up some third cuts um, uh, with the dry weather and there could be an opportunity to put lime out on that ground as well. So be very aware of the amount of lime that you have to get applied and how you have to start making a, an effort to try and get, get to that level. So um, you can see that there's a, a liming plan as part of the derogation. Conacre, which is land that's rented on one year only, is uh, is excluded. But if you're going to use that land again next year, it's going to be required that that's going to be limed. Um, and if it's basically taken on a year to year, but you're continuously farming it, it's going to have to be part of the liming plan. The uh, records will have to be kept. So I suppose that's important if you are applying lime that you keep a copy of the receipts um, because they'll be required on inspection anyway. Uh, and you'd also want to be telling uh, the advisors when you're meeting them next year about what areas were done so that they can update the plan and, and give you a better advice in terms of the quantities that are required for your farm from next year on. Uh, in terms of lime spreading dates or spreads in sampling. So some people will have taken new samples this year, but other people will have samples that were still valid. So if you get the dig out the records to show that you have lime spread since your last samples, they will be taken into account for if you were to be inspected in relation to this. And look, it's it's I suppose in one sense it's a pity um, that they, we've had to go down the route of a compulsory liming program because it's a cheap fertilizer. Um, our genera the generations before us used it in, in abundance, uh, and we've increased stocking rates, increased the amount of fertilizer, or well, possibly reduced the amount of fertilizer we've used, but probably just greater intensity of farming in general, uh, and we're not using as much lime as we should be. So um, it's a good thing from my perspective. I think it's a positive, and you'll see why later on in, in the presentation as I come, uh, I'll show the, a couple of points in relation to lime. So the low emission slurry spreading, uh, I was the advisor, one of the advisors for the Moore Park area up to a couple of years ago, and we had to uh, in, indicate that this was a, a rule that was coming in. It was, I think it was the 15th of June it was when it was coming in the last time the derogation was reviewed. And there was a little bit of a kickback, I suppose, from it. People were giving out about the fact that they were going to have to purchase this equipment and contractors didn't have it and so forth. And uh, around here, the contractors definitely stepped up to the plate and I don't think there's any of them that don't have it now at this stage because obviously their client base required it, so they've delivered in that sense. Um, and some people have gone away and bought them. We've done plenty of TAMS grants for people who've decided to buy them for themselves as well, and that's a good thing. And I think in fairness, if you were to ask people that were maybe complaining about that change at the time, if they go back to splash plate now at this stage, they probably would tell you that they wouldn't. So I suppose the key thing to, to note here is, um, okay, you've had to put, uh, apply your slurry with your um, low emissions equipment since the 15th of April this year, but that's actually kicking in from the 12th of January to coming year. So all slurry really on derogation farms is going to have to be applied with low emission slurry spreading equipment from 2021 on. So come the 13th of January around here where I am in Cork, we can start spreading slurry straight away at that stage all slurry that's going to be applied at that stage on derogation farms will have to be applied using low emission slurry spreading. And again, similar to the lime, I suppose it's, it's, it's a good thing. We're recovering more nitrogen from the slurry that's been spread. 
There's also a reduced um, tainting of grass and so forth. And it gives us the opportunity to spread slurry during the, the grazing season potentially as well without uh, impacting on, on grass growth and uh, in terms of covering of grass with slurry and also in terms of um, cows being able to graze it and uh, in very short space of time after, after application. The third one is probably something that the, a lot of the compounders will have been aware of and will have been planning for for in, in most cases. But um, there's been a, a capping on the amount of crude protein that's um, allowed in rations for grazing diets during the, the summer period, I suppose, or for the main grazing season. And it's probably justified there's a huge issue with um, loss of nitrogen from urine and dung patches. And as you will have seen if you were tuned in last week, John, showed, John Maher showed some uh, quality data from the Clannacilty farm in relation to crude protein and dry matters and energy levels. So dry matters were very low for the last month, um, but the energy levels and the crude protein levels were quite high. And it's basically reducing the level of crude protein that's been put in in the rations that have been fed uh, in order to minimize the losses of nitrogen that's occurring in urine and dung. Um, so that was capped at 16% for 2020, and for 2021, that's going to be uh, reduced further to 15%. This should be of no concern to anybody, really, um, because it's not going to impact on production. There's a, a suggestion that it may, um, but it won't. As long as you're grazing good quality grass, you're going to have more than adequate protein available to your cows. Uh, so feeding extra protein is both expensive and wasteful from a nitrogen point of view uh, and an environmental cost associated. So you will probably more than likely have the crude protein percentage is going to be recorded on the statements that you're getting from your compounders anyway. So you're going to have to possibly produce those in the event of an inspection as well. So moving on, um, reduction in crude protein percentage to dairy cows. Oh, sorry, I copied that in the second time. Attendance at compulsory environmental training courses, which ha will have to be done by the end of um, 2021. So this will say in the next 15, 18 months, people are going to have to attend these and we're putting those together at the moment. Again, COVID has impacted on the progress of those and um, people should be aware that they should be trying to complete them as early as possible because uh, non-completion of these is going to compromise derogation, which your derogation application, which is going to leave you vulnerable to penalties, okay? So from a grassland management point of view, again, um, John would have indicated last week that there was more budgets done on pasture base this year uh, than ever had been done before. So I think it was 450 or up to 500 done to date, uh, and that would hopefully increase. Um, but there's also a good few more people um, regularly measuring using pasture base in the last 12 months. And part of that has probably been driven by the fact that uh, you're, there's a requirement to either complete 20 grass measurements which are recorded on pasture base or attend a grassland management course, again, which the details are being finalized at the moment um, and will be available probably in the next uh, in the next 12 months anyway. It, it would, was intended that they would be available now, um, but again, COVID has probably impacted on, on a share of that. So, so just to be aware that um, for people that are, like I, as I've often been, I'm, I'm surely on record somewhere at this stage, of saying that I think there's no farmer that doesn't walk their farm in terms of uh, assessing their grass position, but not everybody's obviously using pasture base uh, and plenty of people are doing 20 measurements, but they just aren't recording it. So I think it's a, it's a good option for people that are, are regularly walking their farms to just take that next step, talk to your own advisor, to join a grass course, maybe locally and get the confidence to use pasture base. And it's a, an, easy, an easy box to take in terms of um, 
grassland management, but it's also a very important, uh, plays a very important role in the running of the farm. So again, while it's a, a, a regulatory, uh, there's a regulatory element to it, this is a win-win for, for dairy farmers and, and, and indeed beef farmers that are using it as well. The, I suppose the inclusion of clover in grass seed mixes, we've touched on clover a good bit through the webinars since we started them back in um, April. Uh, so like from the 1st of January of this year, there was a requirement to include clover seed in mixes. Um, so we've run into a bit of a, a roadblock there in terms of sprays being unavailable in the last couple of months. Uh, so that's been a bit of a challenge for people. And the other thing is the soil fertility on farms is going to be critically important in including clover in, into grass seeds. And I'm going to touch on that in a, in a minute. Um, the exclusion of commonage and rough grazing will only apply to some people. So there were people that had access to commonage and maybe some rough grazing that were declaring this on their BPS applications. And it meant that they were able to stay uh, under 170 as a result of it. But this land hasn't been farmed at the same level as the rest of the land was being farmed at. And as a result of the exclusion of this, they have now been brought into the derogation category, basically. So they, um, they, I suppose they, were, they weren't doing anything out of the way in terms of they were fully within their rights to use their commonage land at the time. But this change in the rule has uh, meant that they are now moving into the greater than 170 category on the grassland areas. And in terms of farm biodiversity, this is going. To, this is quite important now because obviously hedge cutting season is open, and people will be starting to cut hedges. And it's important that farmers are aware of the requirements under derogation as to what's going to be the situation here. So there's been a reduction in biodiversity uh, in in hedgerows and so forth, and as a result, obviously animals and our birds and the bees and so forth have been impacted as well because they don't have a habitat to live in or a reduced level of habitat in, for them to live in. So from the 1st of January 2020, so this really kicked in, I suppose, in essence, uh, there on the 1st of September with the change, with the um, start of the hedge cutting season, it's a, a requirement that people leave at least one mature white thorn or black thorn tree in every 300 metres of hedgerow, or maintain hedges on a minimum three-year cycle to encourage hedgerow flowering and fruiting. So look, I'll show you some pictures in relation to that in a minute. Um, so... Then just I suppose to come to this, uh, today is the 10th of September. Next Monday, just to clarify, is the final date. So these dates are actually inclusive and it's something that we encounter quite a bit that people think that the 15th of September is actually a spreading date. Now you can argue the, 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 what's the difference between spreading on, on Monday and spreading on Tuesday. Um, probably not a lot, but obviously you could make that argument for any date that it was going to be employ, uh, applied. So <clears throat> chemical fertilizer finish date is next Monday. If you really, really want to get it out, you can spread it till midnight, but I'd suggest that that's uh, probably not a great thing from a safety point of view. Um, you can see then that you can start to apply fertilizer again then from the 13th of January. So again, just in, in, to be very clear, the 12th of January in zone A is a closed day. The 13th is the first day for spreading. Uh, zone B, which is covering the Kerry Limerick and, and the blue area here up into the west and across across the over to Louth and, and County Mead. Um, first day for spreading will be the 16th of January and up in the north, Donegal, Kevin Monaghan and um, Leitrim are caught by, uh, by being bigger closed periods and can't spread until the 1st of February for, for anything. So, um, so just to clarify, I suppose again that next Monday is the final date for for uh, chemical fertilizer to be applied. So, chemical N and chemical P, 
And again, I'm going to talk about potassium in a minute, which isn't covered by these regulations. So slurry then obviously is going to be our fertilizer of choice, I suppose, if it's still available. Now, the vast majority of people, we would hope, have a lot of their slurry spread and are probably only talking about a little the remnants of tanks to deal with now before the, the close date. And again, I suppose it's probably important that we're not waiting till the last hour to get this out, probably be working on it in the short term, um, taking advantage of good weather and so forth where appropriate and good ground conditions to travel. So again, midnight on the 14th of October uh, is going to be the deadline for um, spreading of slurry. Uh, and so, uh, sorry, it's just slurry. And then farmyard manure is uh, the 1st of November. Um, and this, the, close, the opening periods are the same for all the areas for, across the categories. Of, so chemical, organic and farmyard manure, 13th of January zone A, 16th of January zone B, and the 1st of February in zone C, okay? So there's just a little sting in the tail, I suppose, in terms of uh, the, the people aren't aware of as well, which worries worries us a little bit. And I suppose it's really to focus on this area. This, this table here is telling you about the exclusion or the buffer zones for the spreading of organic fertilizer. So your slurries, your soil water, and your um, manures as well. So look, you you'll be able to look at those they're in the um the department of agriculture booklets in relation to nitrates and so forth but depending on how your proximity and and some of you will be exposed to this so maybe you have a water source that's supplying a lot of water to a big area on your farm there's a big exclusion zone associated with them uh, and then in, in just in, we'll say just to short circuit the, the whole process rather than going through each one of these most of you or many of you will have wells on your own farm so there's a 25 meter exclusion zone uh, around those where, where they're supplying water to your house. And it's probably just sensible, I suppose, from your own point of view to not to potentially contaminate your own well. Lake shorelines, 20 meters, uh, karstified limestone features, so the likes of the barn areas and so forth like that, um, have a 15 meter exclusion zone. And any surface watercourse where the slope towards the watercourse exceeds 10%, there's a 10 meter buffer zone. So you're not supposed to spread within 10 meters of the water course where you have a very steep gradient on the, on the field, okay? So that's going to apply to people listening here and everybody listening here, um, unless you have extremely flat land uh, and so it won't apply. But then the last one does apply to everybody. So any surface water, so that's anything that's capable of conveying, convening water, so a stream or, a, or a, a dike or anything, there's an exclusion zone there for spreading slurry of five meters. And that persists basically throughout the year. So always, you should always be five meters away from the, the surface waters on your farm when spreading slurry or, or any form of organic manure. I suppose as a, the sting in the tail is probably the, um, the wrong way to describe it. But that five meter buffer zone increases to 10 meters for the period of two weeks before the close date and for a period of two weeks after the close date. So... The 1st of October basically is your is the finish of your five meter buffer zone. Once you're spreading slurry in the or organic manures post the 1st of October, you need to be staying 10 meters back from any surface waters. Um, and then the same then in January. So uh, as I said, for us around here in Cork, the 13th of January is the start date. Any surface water has to be avoided by, has to, you cannot spread within 10 meters of it for that two week period following the 13th. So that's more or less taking you to nearly to the start of February. 
Uh, and then obviously, if you move further north, the that two week close period, so the 1st of February through to Valentine's Day, probably uh, in the red zone that I showed you, that the exclusion zone is 10 meters for, for that area then. So I said about the biodiversity and look, biodiversity is declining across the world and there's been major policy changes uh, talked about and documents released and so forth. And the new cap is going to definitely uh, play a role in terms of um, influencing biodiversity and farmers have a role to play. I suppose the important thing, if you see here on the right, you can see where the hedge cutter is cutting. Catherine Keena, to her, give her her due, has been talking for as long as I'm in Chagas, which is over 10 years now, uh, about this A-shaped cutting of hedgerows. And that hasn't been the case, as many of you know. So people tend to cut them down much more like this. So that's bad for birds, because birds need to nest in hedgerows. We need, and that's obviously impacting on biodiversity. Obviously, if we don't have the hedgerows for them to, to live in, they're not nesting, they're not breeding. And as a result, they're beginning to die away. So they need to have cover over and under the nest. So if we have them cut down like this, they can't nest in it. And if it's cut down too low, then they can actually be got at by predators from below. So they won't nest in the, in the hedgerow either. So it's very important that people are aware of this. As I said, the hedge cutting season is now open. And people have to be aware that um, they need to inform the people that are hedge cutting for them that they don't want this very neat and tidy scenario, which is probably just... Um, I suppose just the way things have gone, I suppose lots of people will have noticed that uh, as you go around, some of the town councils now have wildflowers sown or they're leaving maybe roundabouts, the grass and roundabouts go uncut and so forth, and it's all to encourage biodiversity. So neat and tidy isn't really good for biodiversity, and we need to probably just be aware of that. And I suppose what we're really looking for is people to just side trim hedges, not to cut the tops down off them because over time they'll start to grow up, they'll start to flower, we'll see nice white flowers of white thorns and so forth. And that encourages pollination of bees and so forth. And that's good for biodiversity and it's good for crops and everything. So then just to come on to, um, come back to the lime and I said a bit about potassium as well earlier. Some of you might have seen an article that I had on Chagas Daily during the week. It's in relation to um, not forgetting potassium. This is Liebig's barrel and Basically, Liebig's barrel here is representing yield of grass in the middle, uh, and the lats of the barrel are representing the soil nutrients that we use. And they can also have other factors, such as water, as you see it back at the back there, and the kind of orange color, and light as well. And as I said in the article, um, when you think back to maybe May, when we were beginning to hit into a bit of a drought, water was the limiting factor. So the lat on Liebig's barrel in terms of water was very well down the side of the, the, the barrel there. And obviously the yield of grass was being impacted by the lack of water. And it's the same of any of the, the main nutrients then, or even some of the, the micronutrients can have a role as well. So if we've uh, waterlogged soil, obviously as well, which we would have had in recent days in parts of the country or in recent weeks in parts of the country, there's a lack of air available for grass growth and yield is impacted as well. So the big three, I suppose, are our potassium, our phosphorus and our nitrogen, which you can see here. If we don't spread nitrogen, obviously we are very limited in terms of grass growth. Uh, we'll get some growth because of maybe background nitrogen coming in. But if we want to hit the 12 and 14 tons of grass growing and higher, we need to obviously spread nitrogen on a little and often basis. Uh, and especially when there's growth there. And then phosphorus obviously is regulated as well, similar to the nitrogen. And that's uh, 
that's uh, we've obviously seen it. We've seen a decline in that in some cases where farms have run down the phosphorus on their farms because they haven't been spreading. Uh, they've been spreading straight nitrogen on an ongoing basis. But another fertilizer that or another nutrient that has been impacted, I suppose, by this has been um, the potassium or potash. So because we weren't spreading pasture sward or cut sward as much, uh, I suppose there's been a reduction in the amount of potash. Uh, and it's also a, a, an element that can be changed very rapidly on your farm relative to phosphorus, which can be a lot slower. The other one that isn't on the, the diagram here, but is important is lime. So lime is going to influence the, the, the potassium and phosphorus performance, we'll say, and especially the nitrogen performance as well. So we need to have lime status right in order to get maximum return from nitrogen, uh, phosphorus and potassium fertilizers. So the fertilizer deadline day, as I said, is, is actually is approaching next Monday, but it's still okay to spread K fertilizer. Uh, and I suppose I'm just emphasizing, I just put in the K requirements for grazing and grass silage crops. And this is relating to uh, first cut silage in particular, um, where we're on a maintenance level. So if we're on a maintenance level, this is working out at approximately 30 kgs here per hectare, which is the equivalent to 24 to 25 units of K per year required. So if we don't take any silage from that ground, we need to be putting on 24 to 25 units of K onto that. You can see that there's a big step up in terms of the grass silage requirement for K. K is recycled by the animals when they graze the ground. So they consume the K that's in the grass and they put 90% of it back onto the ground through their dung and urine. But when we harvest grass silage from, the, from fields, we strip the entire amount of K that's on the, on the plot into a pit. And unless we recycle the slurry to that ground, we're not going to recycle any K to it. Uh, furthermore, I suppose we've seen with some of the soil work that we've been doing, a colleague of mine, John McCarthy, is, is, is focusing on soil fertility with a group of uh, 34 farms in Dairy Gold. And John has seen quite significant impact in phosphorus or in, in potash, sorry, um, in, cont in continuous coating systems. So where we have silage been taken maybe off of out blocks, maybe two cuts, three cuts, and possibly in some cases we've had uh, situations where there's four cuts or three cuts and uh, zero grazing of the crop um, on the shoulders of the year then to the, the milking herd on the, on the milking platform. K levels have plummeted on those farms if there isn't, being, um, if there isn't remedial action being taken. So it's just important that people are aware of this. As I said, the deadline day next Monday applies to phosphorus and nitrogen fertilizers okay is still going to be okay to be spread after that date and people should be uh, if you're not already aware be looking into it so don't forget the lime as i said the target ph is 6.3 um, and if you can get that right you get far greater efficiency from the nitrogen that you'll apply the phosphorus that you'll apply and the potassium that you'll apply um, so it's it's prudent to get your lime right as well as having to do it from a regulatory point of view now if you're in derogation um, just to mix up in the slides there, I should I intended continuing on the K side of things. As I said, I, that the maintenance for K is 30 kgs per hectare for a dairy system, which is the equivalent to 24 units. As you can see, as you push up the numbers in terms of higher stocking rates, if we go to the upper limit, we'll say if you're farming at very close to the derogation limit of 250 kgs of N per hectare, you're looking at more of a situation of 30, 30 to 35 units of K required per, uh, per acre in order to maintain your K levels on your farm.
in terms of build-up rates. So if you have land that's at index one and index two on uh, 4K, you should be applying the maintenance rates that I've just shown you there. So you're 30 to 25 to 35 units, depending on the, the stocking rate. And then you also need to follow up with a maintenance level or with a build-up level, which is 60 kgs for index one, which so what that more or less equates to is a bag of murate potash. So 50 units of, of potash in a, a bag of murate. And that's uh, what you require for index one. And for index two, then that equates to 24, 25 units again uh, to, to build up the level up to index three, which is your target. And as a result, that means that you need to be spreading a half bag of murette on um, your index two ground. And as I said, again, just to re-emphasize because people forget about it, that we can spread straight murate or potash uh, our sulfate of potash, which is a dearer product, so murate product, um, murate potash is probably more favorable for uh, grassland systems um, at any stage during the course of the year. So, but where we run into bother with uh, murate potash, I suppose, is that you can't spread more than 72 units of it in the springtime. Um, and people are always worried about the impact that that may have on grass tetany in, in freshly calved cows. So now is the time to apply your build-up rates. Like grass silage is very hard on K, uh, especially where there's no slurry being recycled. And in some cases, people are, are, aren't recycling the slurry because of long draws and so forth. It, it would be wise maybe to target the slurry to that ground first and foremost and to minimize the cost of chemical K on your farm because you have huge K resource in your slurry. But just being aware of it, I suppose, and making a plan for the, the next couple of months that you're going to get K onto your ground that needs it and be aware that you need to come include K in your fertilizer plans, I suppose, for 2021 as well. I think great products, there's two great products out there for K where people have no P allowances as a result of derogation and uh, or their current soil status, we'll say outside of derogation, is 19.015 or there's your protected urea version, which is 29.014 and both are available with sulfur. So great fertilizers to use during the, the grazing season from my perspective to do your maintenance level of your K and then come in with your murate potash towards the end of the year. You should continue to do that then until your soil samples tell you that your indexes have moved up to index three. And if you're index four for K, you should skip applying K or you don't have to apply K um, for 12 months, but you, you then have to kick in with your maintenance rate at uh, index three levels again. And that just emphasizes how quickly K levels can change on farms. So we've seen K levels drop the most of an index and increase indeed in excess of an index. So I suppose going from index fours into high index two, low index fours into high index twos on some of the soil sample data that we've been looking at where we're monitoring farms on an ongoing basis. So that's uh, that's more or less the, the rundown on things that people probably need to be aware of at the moment um, in terms of just a few point things that are happening, I suppose. Grassland Farmer of the Year competition due to the um, COVID again was delayed, I suppose, being announced. Uh, and there was probably people who were away on holidays, advisors who were away on holidays and so forth. To, so the date was extended and it's extended until tomorrow. So if you're interested in or feel you'd like to have a crack off of it, you can get your application form in tomorrow. And I suppose... I was involved with Mike Birmingham, who you've heard on, on this uh, program with me once or twice already this year um, in terms of trying to get him, encouraging Mike to go go for this over a couple of years. 
and he he applied for it um, and didn't win it obviously the first year he was in it but got huge benefits from being involved in it um, in his in his own words um, he really found the interview processes f- very beneficial to him and he got got to I suppose ask the questions of some of the judges as to how he could drive his own farm on and obviously he took on their advice and subsequently was the winner of the award for the dairy category last year. Um, so this uh, f- image here is showing the Daniels family who won the outright ca- the Grassland Farmer of the Year competition last year. And we just encourage people that if you're even, even it's not all about the winning, I suppose, um, it's participation is important as well. And people can learn a lot from participating in this competition. So we recommend people that if you're thinking about it, take the step and fill out the application form before tomorrow. Um, then just, uh, I suppose it's a bit, just a few notices, I suppose. Again, coming back to the grassland competition, um, John Trent, who was spoke to us in, in May of this year from Clane in County Kildare, where he was getting really severely hit with drought at the time. John won the Young Grassland Farmer of the Year com- uh, category last year, and he should be having a fair mark, obviously, similar to Mike and the Daniels as well. Um, but obviously COVID has impacted and we haven't been able to go on farm for it. So he's doing a social media takeover uh, next Wednesday, the 16th of September. And then the following Thursday, uh, sorry, the following Thursday week, so the 24th of September, John's going to join me again on uh, Let's Talk Dairy to, to discuss his career path. So just to explain how he got to where he, he got to. Um, so tune into that um, for some information in relation to how he's running the herd uh, in Clangos Wood there now. And finally, uh, next week's program is going to be at 10.30. Sorry for the hopping around with the times, but we had this scheduled, uh, I suppose, before I uh, we changed the time last week. So we're going to be on the farm of Jimmy Cotter and his family in Coachford in County Cork. Uh, Jimmy's one of the monitor farms with us on the Dairy Gold Chagas Joint Programme. And Jimmy's an excellent operator. Um, he's focus for his, his the monitor farm for labour efficiency. Jimmy some of you will be aware from Martina's updates, is uh, working in or around approximately 50 hours a week, an extremely efficient farm, fantastic farm in terms of productivity as well. So really, uh, I suppose, followed the blueprint is how he described it himself recently when we were talking to him, that uh, Chagas had set out in terms of grassland management and cows and so forth. So he's good EBI, good grassland management, and is hitting 500 plus kilos of solids, 530, 540 kilos of milk solids uh, per annum now in the last couple of years. So we're going to go. To, we're going to be on farm with Jimmy. So well, I'll be here in my house as normal, and uh, some of my colleagues will be on farm with Jimmy. So Granny Hurley is one of my uh, team for the Dairy Gold Joint Program, and Granny looks after the monitor farms. So Granny is going to be on farm with some of our other colleagues. And we're going to be talking to Jimmy about his farming system and how he's going to have to change his farming system to uh, kind of, I suppose, fall in line or, or get up to speed with the new criteria that have been set. So Clover is going to be one of the focuses for Jimmy. Um, he's some so, some so on. The soil fertility is obviously important and Jimmy's soil fertility is generally good. But we'll be talking to him about that and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you for that. So... Um, I just have two questions here that I suppose bought from Sean Murray. Um, if you are exporting slurry to stay under 170 kgs, must you comply with slurry spreading requirements of derogation farms 
as far as I'm aware, Sean, I, I think it, that's, that is the case now. So if your grassland stocking rate is greater than 170 and you're exporting to stay under the 170 so that you're not in derogation, you are going to be required to deliver on the, on the requirements of low emission slurry spreading. And then your second question is, is the low emission slurry spreading TAMS grant ending on the 31st of December 2020? As it currently stands, the, all TAMS grants applications will be finishing up at the end of this year um, and so people need to get applications in and obviously we have implications there of rollovers where people have um, haven't been granted under previous trenches and they're falling into the next category so I suppose unfortunately there's no guarantee that you're going to get approved for that grant but if you're not in you can't win I suppose so people should be if you're thinking of doing it applying for the grant. Uh, of course, the other thing is to talk to contractors, maybe depending on, I know we're, we're probably spoiled in this area because of the high level of derogation firms, contractors really had no choice but to step up to the plate and, and acquire the equipment because it was going to be demanded by their clients, but that's not always the case across the entire, um, the entire, entire uh, country. So then there's a, another question in here. I thought high, new, high nitrogen usage killed off clover, so why include in, in receding? Um, I suppose the answer to that is um, going to be covered next week, really. I suppose we'll have Deirdre Hennessy talking to us next week as well. But my take on it is that if we have our soil fertility right um, and we can we establish our clover properly, so that means, and, and that's why I'm harping on about lime and uh, K levels and so forth, like people introducing clover into re, into either over sowing or into reseeds really need to be working on the soil fertility of the plots that they're going to go working on next year so if you're planning on include, including clover into some ground next year either over sowing or uh, conventional reseed you need to be working on the soil fertility of the plot this year in order to make sure that the ph is correct um, at the time of reseeding rather than just trying to correct it as as you go so like your two ton of lime as you as you're actually reseeding it's obviously going to, there'll be a proportion of it will kick in um, straight away, but it's not going to probably pull the pH up maybe to where it needs to be, which is in excess of 6.3. And obviously we need target index of um, three for P and three for K in order to have a, a really good shot at establishing the clover. Um, so just to come back to your question, I suppose nitrogen, I think from, from the perspective of uh, nitrogen usage, I suppose, killing off the clover i suppose we have to there's going to be a bit of of cover required in or a bit of overlap in terms of obviously we're not going to be able to oversaw successfully oversaw clover on the entire farm in one go um obviously management post um sowing or oversawing of clover is important to get it to establish so nitrogen usage is going to be important in terms of early spring grass growth and so forth so we still need to probably apply the same levels of nitrogen that we would have applied in the past um, in the early part of the season because clover really kicks in in the second half of the year um, so if you're going to be reducing fertilizer levels it's going to be in the second half of the year but you're also going to have the clover clover has to be established and I suppose Grant, um, Deirdre will probably explain it more I suppose there is scope to probably continue to apply the nitrogen level until we're comfortable with the clover uh, on the farm. So 
but there's also a slight trade-off. What you're saying is, is technically correct. I suppose if we don't prime the clover to perform, it's not going to perform. So we, if we have clover on its ward, we probably do need to be turning back the dial in terms of the nitrogen that's going to be applied on that probably from mid-June onwards or, um, or thereabouts in order to try and get it to start fixing nitrogen of, of its own accord. Uh, and that will help it to establish more. But grazing management is going to be important as well to get it to establish in the first place. So the long and the short of it is, I suppose, yes, we need to try to reduce nitrogen and that's going to come about uh, through regulation, but we also need to be proactive on that and trying to start to do it. And it's going to be a benefit to farmers, I suppose, that they'll be able to reduce their nitrogen input if we can get clover to work successfully. But it's going to be very important that all the other factors are in place before we go about this clover uh, inclusion. So we need to get the, the P and the Ks right, and we need to get the pH in, in particular right if we want to establish clover. And then we can start working on the, on the reduce, reduction of the nitrogen levels. So um, look, we'll leave it at that for today. As I said, next week, join us for the farm walk from Jimmy Cotters. Um, we're also going to be talking to Jimmy's contract rearer, Sean Desmond, who's contract rearing his heifers for him. Uh, and we're going to be talking about clover there. So we'll probably deal with more, in more detail the question that came up there. So thanks for tuning in today. Thanks for, to Padraig O'Connor for uh, recording. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. At, remember, just at 10.30 next week, uh, the following week, as I said, we'll be talking to John Trent. And then the week after that, we're going to be on one of the Lambia Monitor Farms for a farm walk as well. So I hope we can join us um, next week for the Dairy Gold Walk uh, and for the future episodes. Um, and we'll talk to you next week. Everybody take care and maintain your social distances and so forth. And we'll try and keep on top of this COVID situation. And hopefully we'll get back to doing some farm walks on the ground eventually. So bye for now. Take care, everyone. Bye. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and thanks for listening.